And when I say hero, uh, what do you think of? When I say the word hero, what do you think of? Who, who comes to mind when I say that word? Uh, maybe it's your favorite comic book hero. Maybe you're a Marvel fan. Maybe you're a DC fan. And, and so your heroes are lined up in cord- accordingly. Very rarely is there a crossover. Um, maybe you, uh, you have more British taste. And Doctor Who comes to mind as one of your heroes. Uh, maybe in that British line of thinking, you're more of a reader, and so Aragon from Lord of the Rings is your hero. Maybe you're a TV show, and you watch This Is Us, and Jack is your hero. Um, Side note, I'm going to do a little spoiler here. Later on in the message, we're talking about the fear of death. I almost brought an old crock pot. Um, Only those of you who watch This Is Us will get that. Um, maybe though TV shows aren't your thing, maybe literature is your thing, and you've got a long list of heroes. Atticus Finch may be your hero, Huckleberry Finn, Sherlock Holmes, or maybe sports or history. See, heroes can be found everywhere in whatever genre is your taste. But maybe your heroes that came to mind, um, no one's ever heard their name. Because although their stories are great, Their name just hasn't made the public ear yet. See, one of my heroes is a name that almost nobody knows outside of a small little city north of Dallas called Carrollton. Uh, No. And his name is Jimmy Porter. And Jimmy Porter, when I was a kid, he he was old the entire time that I knew him. I had no idea how old he actually was. Uh, What I found out later is that in the 20s, he played on a Negro League in St. Louis, played baseball, uh, when there was no, when they were still segregated. What I knew about Jimmy Porter is that everywhere I saw him, uh, he had a wooden baseball bat, sometimes two, uh, that he carried with him. He had a couple of gloves, and he always had a bag of uh, of baseballs with him. And what he loved to do is to get kids at a park playing a game of baseball because he loved baseball and he loved team and he loved teaching kids through the sport of of baseball. And what's interesting is as a kid, he really wasn't one of my heroes. As a kid, he was just a guy who was always there, who always wanted us to play and who always wanted to get kids together. As an adult, though, And looking back on Jimmy Porter, um, he has become one of my heroes for a couple of reasons. One is that he didn't let age stop him. As I I said, um, he was old for as long as I can remember, right? And he could have very easily just stayed home and not gone outside, but every day uh, he was out at the park getting kids to play. But what I also remember about Jimmy was his shoes, I always remember he had the same pair of shoes on, and they were black leather dress shoes, super worn dress shoes. And as an adult, I realized that he never had tennis shoes, he never had cleats, he never had any of the shoes that we had. He always had that same worn out pair of shoes as he played with us. And so as an adult, not only... Did he not let age stop him, as I now know? What I also know is he never let poverty stop him. Because those are the only shoes that he had, at least as far as I know. 
And, and through play, the reason he's one of my heroes is because he taught me how to sacrifice for the benefit of others. He didn't let age or poverty stop. And those shoes taught me that. And so my question is, who are your heroes? Who are your heroes? I could keep going. Tommy Nelson is a hero of mine because from him, I learned to love the Bible. John Bryson is a hero of mine because through him, I learned to, to lead um, James Skinner is one of my heroes because through him, I, I learned how to, how to disciple people. And these are just some of my heroes. And who, who are your heroes? Who, who is that name that came to mind? Because what I want you to do today is I want you to hold on to that name as we go through this message. Because today, we're going to talk about heroes. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 10 through 18. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. And if you're using that Bible, it's on page 842. <clears throat> um, if, you, if you also don't have a Bible, you can download the Bible app. Uh, go to events and click on Fellowship Asheville and all of our announcements are there. The scriptures are there and even the points of my message are there. And you can take notes and stuff there as well. And, and we're in a series called Greater Than. And, and as we go through the book of Hebrews and what we're seeing is that Jesus is greater than. He's greater than all of our ups and all of our downs. He's greater than all of our doubts, all of our fears. He's greater than all of our failures and he's greater even than all of our successes. And if you didn't get a chance, last week we talked about how Jesus is greater than our control. Um, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, you can listen to it on the podcast on our website. But, but I got to tell you, th there's something special about looking at all of your faces when I'm preaching, especially when I'm talking about control and especially when I'm doing a quiz on are you a control freak or not, because it was so fun to watch the elbows and to watch the eyebrows as you looked across the person next to you, it was, it was, it was, it was really fun. Um, and we saw last week how Jesus is greater than our control. And this week, we're going to see how Jesus is greater than something else that we hold very near and dear to us in our lives. And it's this, that Jesus is greater than our heroes. So whoever that name was, whatever, whatever hero and heroes you have in your life, what we're going to see today is Jesus is greater than them. And see, all of our heroes have something in common because they each changed our life in some way. That's what makes them a hero. That's what makes them part of your memory and part of your soul. Well, today we're gonna see how Jesus does this, but how Jesus also does something that no hero can ever do. And it's not just save you from your sins if you've been in church for a while and you think you know where I'm going, all right? We're gonna see him do that, but we're gonna see our Jesus do something that no other hero can do, which is what makes him greater than any of our heroes. Well, let's look at verse 10. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, just to give you a little refresher. Remember, this is a sermon that was preached, and the preacher is preaching to a group of Hebrews. And, and in this group, there are obviously some, some non-Hebrew people, some non-Jewish people there, but the predominant congregation is Hebrews. And so he uses a lot of words and a lot of terminology and illustrations that would be familiar to that congregation and would be familiar to you if you grew up in a Jewish home. Um, but as non-Jewish folks, uh, we don't understand a, a lot of the illustrations that he used. We don't understand a lot of the connections he makes. And so, so part of me preaching uh, through this sermon is helping kind of connect those dots. This passage this week is full of those. 
Um, so just bear with me as we kind of work our way through this. And let's look at verse 10, and we'll see kind of the beginning of that. Verse 10, it says, For it was fitting that he, um, for, whom, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, last week we talked about suffering, that, that, that a lot of our control is actually to avoid suffering. That our prayers are oftentimes uh, to make us feel better instead of to find God. And, and, and last week I talked about that anytime you get a no from God or a no in your life, it, it bumps up against that need to control because a no shows you you're not in control. And I said, when you look at the scriptures, a no from God is actually an invitation to know God. That when the scriptures say, don't do this, that no is an invitation, is an invitation to know, K-N-O-W, God. And this verse is the preacher is transitioning from talking about suffering to talking about what he's going to talk about today. And so he says, it is fitting that he, being God the Father, who all things uh, who orchestrates all people coming to know him, should make. And look at the word there after, after um, should make. It says, the founder of their salvation. Now, if you have an ESV, it has the word founder. If you have a King James Version, it says the word captain. If you have an NIV version, it says pioneer. If you're a living translation person, it says perfect leader. If there was a Fred Baker version, which there won't be, but if there was a Fred Baker version, the word would be hero. Because when you look at the, at the, at the Greek word that's used here, it, it, it captures this idea of a hero. It's someone who's leading the group. It's someone who's saving others and showing other people a better way to live. And that's what a captain does. That's what a leader does. That's what a perfect leader does. Is he stands in front of the group and leads them through salvation and shows them a better way to live. That's what, that's what Jimmy Porter did for me. Is he showed me a better way to live and through that saved me from making a lot of mistakes in my life. And so a leader saves someone from their current state and shows them a better future. A hero saves and a hero shows and see all of my heroes showed me a better way to live and by doing so saved me from a ton of mistakes just like your hero probably did now as the text unfolds we're going to see how a hero does this and we're going to see how our best hero how Jesus does something that no other hero can do look at verse 11 it says, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one, all have one source. Now, <clears throat> this is where I said it gets kind of complicated here. This word sanctified is a word that we don't use very often, right? It's a very theological term. It's a term that this Hebrew audience would understand. Um, and so I'm going to take a minute and just kind of help paint a picture for what he's saying here. All right, you know the term salvation, that Jesus saves, and that's where our gospel uh, gets embedded into someone's heart and soul. And they realize that Jesus is the savior that they've been, they've been longing for and waiting for. And our gospel is that Jesus died and his death and his resurrection um, 
paid the penalty for your sin because sin is what separated you from God. It's what separated you from the God who loves you and made you and wants you to be all that he's created you to be. And sin separates you from him because he is perfect and holy. And if he could embrace sin, he would, but it would jeopardize his holiness. It would jeopardize who he is. And so because of our sin, not only the sin that Adam and Eve did, but we've been contributing to it ever since, Because of that sin, there is a separation. And so what God did is he provided a solution to that. And what happened is that when Jesus died on the cross, he lived a perfect life, yet he died the death of a criminal. And so he took on our sin by substitution and then rose from the dead to pay the penalty for that sin. So that by our faith in him, we get the benefit of his perfect life and he takes on our sin so that we can have this good and right relationship with God that he has always wanted for. And that's our gospel, that's salvation. Sanctification is what happens the moment you say yes to Jesus. You are saved in an instant. Salvation happens in an instant. Sanctification starts then because sanctification is the process of uh, being made more like Jesus where, where you learn to do what Jesus does. And the term sanctification means set apart. Because the way the term came about is it was referred to um, in in Jewish um, history and in Jewish tradition, um, there was a temple in Jerusalem where people would come to worship once a year for for holidays and festivals and feasts and all that stuff. Um, And there were synagogues in, in their villages and stuff, but they would come to this temple and this temple was divided up into sections and and non-Jewish people could be in one section and women could be in one section and men could be in one section. And as you got closer to the middle of the temple, the crowd got smaller and smaller and smaller until only one person could enter the most holy place in that temple and that was the high priest. But yet in that temple, there was a lampstand. So there was a candle stand and there were bowls that they used and there were were things that they used for, for sacrificing and for worship. And and it is said of those items that they were sanctified. They were set apart for a different use. So you had this bowl of water that was just a bowl of water until they set it apart to use in the temple and it became sanctified because it had a more grand and more noble purpose than it did before. Over there, it was just a bowl. Here, it's a bowl for worship. That's what sanctification means. It means set apart. You are saved when you say yes to Jesus. And the moment you're saved, he sets you apart for something more grand and something more noble than you were before. That's sanctification. And the process of sanctification is when you take every step closer to that more grand and more noble purpose and calling in your life. That's the process of being sanctified. And see, the Hebrew audience would have gotten that because they have been to that temple. And they have seen those bowls and they know that's a bowl just like I got in my house. But this one, this one is sanctified. It's holy. That's what sanctification means. And see, you have been sanctified and you have one source and that's Jesus. The gospel that saves you is the gospel that sanctifies you, is the gospel that sustains you. See, Jesus saves and he sets you apart for something grander. See, Jesus saves us and he shows us a better way to live. And look at this. Um, The rest of verse 11 
It says, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And the word here is brothers and sisters. And what that means is that in him setting us apart, in him sanctifying you, in him sanctifying me, in him calling us to this more noble and this more grand plan for our lives, he's also joining us together in that. That that's not an alone endeavor. That is, that is something we partake of together, which is why we gather together for worship. You see, he makes us family. And, and here's what's interesting. He makes us family not just with each other, but with him. See, he calls us brothers and sisters. You see, our hero has saved us by becoming one of us and being one of us. Now let's stop and let's just let that sink in for a moment that the God that we worship is with us. The one that we celebrate calls us family calls us brothers and sisters. So what that means, to put it in real terms, is that if Jesus was here today, I mean, he is, you know, spiritually, but if he was here in bodily form, do you know where he would be? He probably wouldn't be up here saying, worship me. He would probably be sitting right out there next to you because you are his brother and sister. I am his brother. And he would be right up here next to me. He would be right there next to you. He would be with you. That's our Jesus. You see, our Jesus is our God who sits next to us, is what that means. And look at what he does when he's next to us. Verse 12. And so this is what he, he says. He says he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying. And so this is what Jesus would say to you. He'd say, I, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, and I will sing your praise. Well, and I will sing your praise. Well, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. We're not Hebrew, right? We're not Jewish. This is, this is a quote from Psalm 22. Right, and Psalm 22 is the psalm of the forsaken is what it's called because David wrote this psalm and the very first words out of this psalm is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's the words that Jesus said when he was on the cross as he was feeling all of our sin and taking on all the sin of the world on him. And for just an instant, he felt something that he's never felt in all eternity and that is he felt the separation from God the Father and the Holy Spirit because he took our sin on him. And his response to that was to quote this psalm, Psalm 22, the psalm of the forsaken, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that's just how that psalm begins. Where it ends is in victory. Because God doesn't forsake his people. The crucifixion ended with the resurrection because God doesn't forsake his people. You see, this Jesus sitting next to you will remind you that there is a better way, that victory is coming. And that victory can be yours. You see, he would put his hand on your knee and say, listen, you might feel forsaken right now. Hold on, victory's coming. 
one day you will sing praises again because this quote is from the end of Psalm 22 where the guy who was feeling forsaken is now in the temple singing praises to God. You see, Jesus shows us victory. He shows us there is a better way. And is this what you need to hear from our hero today? A reminder that victory is coming. Even when the enemy surrounds you, victory is coming. Even when dreadful loneliness engulfs you, victory is coming. Even when whatever darkness chases you catches up, victory is coming. You see, our God sitting next to you shows you this. Look at verse 13. This one's just as clear. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Got it? So we can move on? No, right? We're not that Jewish congregation. This is actually a quote from Isaiah. And, and, and what the prophet is picturing here in Isaiah is that, is that the nation of Israel is surrounded by an enemy, right? And everything is looking hopeless. And yet the declaration to this nation was don't look at your enemy Put your trust in the Lord and let him fight for you. Let him deliver you from the enemy. And this isn't from a God on high, but the verse says, I and the children God has given me. You see, Jesus gets us because he is with us. He's been where we are and he is where we are. And his next encouragement to us, if he was sitting next to you, the thing that he would say is to trust. Simply trust in God. You see, Jesus shows us trust. And he knows this because he had to trust. There's a time right before the crucifixion where he was alone and praying, and he, he brought a couple of disciples with him, and he said, listen, I need y'all to stay awake and pray while I go pray. Me and God have some business to deal with. I need y'all to pray for me while I'm talking to him. And every time he came back to check on them, do you remember what they were doing? They were sleeping. They were snoring every time he came back to check on them. And he'd wake them up and say, come on, guys, I need you to pray. I need you to pray. And they were sleeping. And yet, in that time of prayer is when he said this prayer that, that I have no idea how this works theologically. All I know is we see the heart of Jesus and he knows what's coming ahead and he knows the trials that he's gonna face. He knows the, the physical pain and torture his body's gonna go through. He knows the crucifixion is coming and he asks God the Father, he says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, if there's another way for me to do what I need to do other than go through what I need to go through, now's a great time to show me. But there's a little semicolon in that verse because it says, nevertheless, this is what he said, not, not what the Hebrew, not, not what we have here, what's what Jesus said. But he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So in other words, he said, listen, I'm seeing what's coming ahead and it does not look good. And if there's another way, then let it be. But if there's no other way and I need to do this for them, then I trust you, God. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, Jesus knows how to trust because he had to trust. And your hero next to you is whispering to you this morning, perhaps, 
to trust in the Lord? And is there a part of your life where you need to say, nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done? Because your hero next to you is whispering to trust. Look at what else the hero does in verse 14. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And so your hero, our greatest hero, has saved us from our enemy. It's like Superman defeating Lex Luthor if you're into that line. But this word destroy is interesting. It doesn't mean annihilate. What this word destroy means, what Jesus did to Satan, this word means to render powerless. That our enemy has no more power over us because of what Jesus has done. You see, Satan has no power to those who follow Jesus. It's like Superman putting Lex Luthor, the enemy, in jail where he has no more power to do what he was doing before. And look at the effect that this has on us. In verse 15, it says, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In other words, that before Jesus came, uh, before people accepted Jesus as their savior, before they saw him as the Messiah, there was this looming fear that the grim reaper was gonna show up any moment. And you weren't gonna know which way he was gonna point. But Jesus, because he's defeated Satan, because he's taken away your sin, because of this good and right relationship with the Lord, you no longer have a fear of death. You know what's going to happen when you close your eyes for the final time. That you get to see face to face the Savior who's done all this for you. You get to be with Jesus. I remember when I was in college and I was in a fraternity, I'd become a Christian my last year in college. Um, and so I was very new to my faith, and my little brother in the fraternity and I were guarding the homecoming float because for some reason, uh, fraternities would sneak in in the middle of the night and destroy your homecoming float the night before homecoming. I don't know why we did it, um, but we had to guard our homecoming float, so we had to stay up all night, um, and so we talked a lot that night, and one of the things that we talked about was what happens when you die? What happens after death? And it's interesting because his response sounds peaceful, but it was actually a response that was based in a fear of what happens when you die. Because he said, I think when you die, you're just dead. There's nothing. There's no heaven. There's no hell. You're just dead. And the reason I say that that was a fearful response is because the thought of a literal hell scared him, well, to death. The thought of a literal hell scared him. And he would rather think that nothing happens than something like that happens. And what this preacher is saying is that you who believe in Jesus, we who believe in Jesus, we don't have that fear. We don't have that fear of a literal hell, which, which scripture I think promotes, that there is a literal hell. We don't have a fear of that because we know where we're going. See, Jesus saves us from a fear of death. Jesus saves you and me from the sting of death. And here's how he did it. Look at verse 16. 
For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's, that's us, those who follow Jesus. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become, the, uh, merciful, he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, propitiation, that's another big word, and it's a word that, that we don't use very often, but, but what this passage means is that propitiation is the theological term that means God's wrath is satisfied, that part of who God is, part of his holiness means that something had to be done with sin, right? That's the, that's the, the justice side of God, and if you have a problem thinking that God is wrathful, don't, don't dwell on that too much. Look at your own heart because, because we're made in the image of God and we get wrathful over injustice too. We get mad when, when people are treated badly because of their race or because of their sex. We want to see peace. We want to see equality. We want to see things done right. We want to see the world right. And when it's not, there's wrath in our hearts. God has wrath over sin. He too wants sin eradicated and done with, which is why we have Jesus. Jesus dealt with that sin. And so what propitiation means is that in Jesus, the wrath of God is satisfied. What that means to us is that when God sees us, he's never mad at us because of Jesus. That when God sees you, he sees you as his child. He sees you as his as his friend. That's because of Jesus. That's propitiation. And so Jesus saves us from our sin. Look at verse 18. So it's for because he himself, he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, this is the ultimate way um, that he shows you a better way to live is that this God who is next to you, Jesus who is next to you, sits next to you even in times of temptation. And he's there to help. He's not there to condemn, he's there to help. As a matter of fact, one Bible teacher I read, uh, Chip Ingram, he has this great book called The Invisible War and it's about spiritual warfare and it's about when you face these times of temptation. Um, he said there's this great little phrase uh, that you can throw out because our Jesus is next to us. And this simple phrase is this, Jesus, help. When you're facing temptation, Jesus, help. And no matter what that temptation is, the God sitting next to you, our Jesus sitting next to you is there to help. And here's the deal, not too many of you are facing temptation right now, but you know what? You will. Monday's coming, this afternoon is coming, tonight is coming. You see, and just like Jesus is sitting next to you now, because it's really easy to think about that when we're here for worship and, and, and you got some space next to you, you know, and it's easy to think about Jesus sitting next to you, he's also sitting next to you when you're at the bar. He's sitting next to you, and you're tempted to, to drink more than you know. He's sitting next to you when you're on the computer and you're tempted to click that button. He's sitting next to you when you're in front of your TV and you're about to click on the Netflix show that you know isn't good for you to watch, isn't good for your soul to watch. He's sitting next to you when you're tempted to scream at your kids or your spouse. 
He's sitting next to you when you're in your car. And the person in front of you needs a little more Jesus. I wish I could help, but you don't seem to be connected to the internet. Sorry. Siri doesn't help me. Um, Jesus, help. Um, He's sitting next to you and stuff like that happens. Um, He's sitting next to you and you're scrolling through Facebook and, and, and jealousy rears its head. Like he's sitting next to you then. And all you need to say, and what I love about Chick Ingram is he says, don't just think it, like actually say it. Verbally, mouth the words and say the words, Jesus, help. And he's there. So where do you need this help today? You see, our greatest hero is our greatest hero, not just because he saves us, which he does, not just because he shows us a better way, which he does and which is true, but our Jesus is our greatest hero because he is always next to us. He's always next to us to show us the way of salvation if you haven't experienced that. He's always next to us to show us a better way to live, and he's always next to us to help us in times of temptation. Church, Jimmy Porter, my hero, died over 30 years ago. And he's not with me. Tommy Nelson lives in Texas. John Bryson lives in Tennessee. James Skinner lives in Louisiana. My heroes aren't with me. Your hero, no matter who he or she is, can't always be with you. But our greatest hero, our greatest hero can You see, Jesus, who is our hero, is always with us. He is greater than our heroes. And so, church, what do you need from him today? Do you need trust? Do you need victory? Do you need just that loving pat on your knee that only Jesus can give you? Well, as we go into this time of prayer, or maybe you need to say, Jesus, help. As we go into this time of prayer, I want to give you time to to listen to the Jesus sitting next to you. And so we're just going to sit in silence just for like half a minute, all right? So not to be super long with it, but I want you to, to intentionally listen to the Jesus who knows you and who is sitting next to you. So I'll start and then we'll be quiet. Jesus.